Have you ever had a time where you're planning to do something really important? You've carved out a time of the day that you want to invest in something that is really important, only to have that something really important be pushed out of the way by something that came along that just seemed to have the ability and the urgency to push it out of the way. Have you had that experience before? When I have those experiences, I get kind of frustrated because I feel like, man, I've, I've in some way kind of wasted my time because what was really important, what really mattered, get, didn't get done. And I, I feel in those moments some aspect of regret because I really wanted to do what mattered most. There's a man that I've read some things about. You probably have heard of him. His name is C.S. Lewis. Some of his writings have been influential in my own walk with Christ. He said, I believe in Christianity like I believe in the sun that has risen. The sun on the horizon has risen. I believe it because I see it. But not only that, I believe it because by it I see everything else. I find that to be really instructive to my own heart when I think about my faith in Christ. I believe in Christ because I see Christ in the Word of God. I see Him at work in me, but I also see that by seeing Christ, I am able to see everything else so much more clearly. This morning, the Word of God will shine a light on us so that we will be able to see that we can really do what matters most. You've been watching a movie or a TV show and right in the middle of a scene, everything stops and you flash back to something long before that scene. And because you saw the flashback, what you were seeing in the scene right before that becomes more clear. Or maybe you see a flash forward, see something that hasn't happened yet and all of a sudden what is happening in the storyline makes more sense because you saw the flash forward forward. Today in Revelation chapter 7, we are going to see a flashback. Next week, we'll look at a flash forward. And the reason we're seeing the flashback and the flash forward is to answer the question that concludes chapter 6 of Revelation. The question at the end of chapter 6, after we have seen the six seals of the seven seals of God's wrath and judgment on the earth the six seals unfolded at the end of seeing the wrath of the lamb poured out on the world we hear this question who is able to stand we are left in that moment needing the answer to that question and instead of moving right into the seventh seal the scene that's unfolding before us stops and we get a flash back. And then we get a flash forward. And we're getting these things so that we might have an answer to this question that presses upon our hearts. And we see rightly the judgment of the Lamb of God. When the judgment of the Lamb of God comes, who will be able to stand? And We see in Revelation 7 the answer to that question. So let's look at Revelation chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8, our flashback. John says, After this I saw four angels 
standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, so that no wind would blow on the earth, or on the sea, or on any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. So the scene that John is, is observing in this moment is this flashback to a time where the judgment of God is being held back figuratively by four angels holding back the winds from the earth. And they are not allowed to let go the judgment of God upon the earth until the bondservants of God have been sealed by the living God on their foreheads. So if you're receiving this message, the revelation of Jesus from John, and you're in one of the seven churches that initially received this message, how in the world are you going to read this interlude? This scene that jumps in here right after the sixth seal, before the seventh seal. How are you going to understand what's being said here? Well, I want to remind you that in Revelation chapter 1, when you would have read the very first part of this message, you would have read that this message was given to Christ, which was given to John, which was given to the bondservants of Jesus. So you immediately know when you begin to read the book of Revelation, the letter of Revelation to you and one of those seven churches, that this is a message that is being delivered to the bondservants of God. So at the very least, when you get to chapter 7 and you read about the seal of the living God and the angels saying, don't let any harm come at all until all of the bondservants of God have been sealed by the living God, you at the very least in your difficulty and trouble are considering the fact, I'm a bondservant. If God's holding back something right now regarding His judgment so that the bondservants might be sealed by the living God, that sounds really encouraging for me. You see, the seven churches that received this letter were living in a very difficult time that was hostile towards their faith in Christ. It was not a fun time to be living for the Lord. They were experiencing difficulty and persecution. And here they hear at the very beginning, we are bondservants of the Lord. Get to chapter 7 after seeing the unfolding of God's wrath in the first six seals. And they hear there is this seal of the living God that is coming on the bondservants of God while the judgment of God is being held back from the earth. There, there is a parallel passage to what's being described here in the New Testament. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. If you want to turn over there with me, that's great. If not, I'll read it for you. 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse 7. But by His word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord 
One day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to, be, to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The, the picture right there in 2 Peter is the same picture we're seeing in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. We are seeing that God is holding back his judgment from coming upon the earth so that his bondservants might receive a seal of the living God. He is not pouring out his judgment that would prevent any more sealing of people as bondservants of the living God. See what's happening? The Lord is conveying there is a time before the final day of judgment that has been created and reserved by God Himself so that people can come to believe in Jesus Christ and be sealed as the bondservants of the Lord. If you're reading Revelation for the very first time and you're one of those seven churches and you read Revelation 1.1 and here you're a bondservant, you see it again in Revelation 2.20 that you're a bondservant and you get to verses 1 through 3, you're thinking immediately, man, this is really good news. Because in the midst of all this difficulty and all this challenge, what we know for certain is that right now when we live, God is holding back His final day of judgment so that more people just like us might believe in Jesus Christ and be sealed with the seal of the living God as bondservants of Christ. Incredibly encouraging. But then you'd read the rest of this passage in Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Look at verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. You get to that point and you're wondering, you know, what in the world's going on there? What is this 144,000? So you're receiving this letter in one of the seven churches, and you're reading chapter 7, having worked through the message of the revelation of Jesus Christ up until this point. And you will remember immediately what God has already said, what Jesus Christ has already communicated to the church. In chapters 2 and chapters 3, Jesus says a clear message to the church. And there are two particular churches that I think are helpful here as we endeavor to understand what's going on. Now, I want to remind you before we jump into this that what we're after this morning is what is clear. Because we believe that the revelation was given not to confuse, but to cause us to rally around Jesus Christ, not to divide, but to unite around who He is and what He says about Himself. Let's think about what, he, what is being understood here by those who are reading the text. So they read this message, they get to chapter 2, chapter 3. There are two of the seven churches. All of them are going through difficulty. But apparently two of the seven are going through such a difficult level of challenge 
that instead of getting correction from Jesus, they only get encouragement. You know when you're at your worst, when everything is falling apart, the last thing you need in that moment is somebody to come in and tell you how wrong you are. When you're at your lowest, when you're at your worst, what you need first before you need anything else is somebody just come along and say, hey, I want you to know I love you, I'm here with you. It is often that that brings the opportunity to say, hey, let me walk with you in the area you need help. Well, there are two of the seven, apparently in such difficult circumstances, that Jesus Christ only encourages them. And it just so happens that those two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, are both encountering this, a similar kind of difficulty. There are Jews who are coming against the church in Smyrna and in Philadelphia who are telling those believers in Jesus Christ, those small churches in those communities, that they are not the people of God. They're coming against them and saying, we are the people of God. We are rightly His people because of our ancestry and lineage. And they're bringing persecution against them. And Jesus' message to the church of Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia is basically this message. They're lying. And I want you to know that because you've trusted in me, you are my people. In fact, to the church of Philadelphia, Jesus goes so far as to say, these people who are coming against you will actually bow down before you and they will hear that I've loved you. When you get to this list of 144,000 from the tribes of Israel and you've heard what Jesus said about who belongs to him, one thing's clear when you get to this list. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ belong to Jesus Christ. And no matter what your ancestry is, no matter what your background is, if you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, you are not considered His people. So you get to the 144,000, it clearly says these are from the tribes of Israel. So what is going on here? Well, the first thing that I think you notice, if you're aware of anything related to the 12 tribes listed through Scripture, if you have any awareness at all, the first thing and the clearest thing that's going to stand out to you is the order of of the tribes. Judah is listed first. You know who should be listed first? Reuben. He's the firstborn. But he's not listed first. Judah is listed first. Why is that? That is a glaring change in the list of the 12 tribes. It is to point out the significance of the tribe of Judah. Chapter 5. When John is in the heavens and he sees the one seated on the throne and no one is there who can open the scroll of God and break its seal and he begins to weep one of the elders stands up and says stop weeping the lion of Judah can open the seal John looks for the Lion of Judah, and you remember what he sees. He sees the once slain Lamb of God. The reason that Judah is listed first is to arrest our attention and remind us once again that Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah, the once slain Lamb who's risen from the dead, who alone is worthy to break the seals of God's judgment, pour out judgment upon the earth, and make all wrongs right. 
Jesus Christ is the most important thing, person in all the world. Nothing is more significant than Jesus Christ. And when you place your faith in Him, He makes you His child. God makes you His child through your faith in Jesus Christ. That is the seal of God. When you trust in Jesus Christ, the Scripture is full of promises to you that through your faith in Jesus Christ, He sends His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to seal you as a pledge and guarantee for a future that does not involve the judgment of God. When you consider the fact that these people who are reading this would have read this and understood that the only way that I can be safe from the judgment of God is through trusting in Christ. And the only way I become a part of His family is by trusting in Jesus Christ. When they read these lists here of the tribes in this order with Judah number one, they are reminded once again that Jesus is everything. And by trusting in Him, we have been sealed with the seal of God. And by being sealed with the seal of God, we are safe. Safe. Now I'll tell you, there is some 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 concern over what this 144,000 really is, and I'm presenting to you what I believe the reader in that day would have concluded as he or she read the book of Revelation and came to chapter seven. Now, there's no doubt that this could be. And some people do believe it is the 144,000 Jews who come to salvation through the time of tribulation. And I just want to say to you that if we're going to stick to what is most clear as we read through this book, there are reasons to believe that what we should walk away from from the first flashback in chapter 7 is that when you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are sealed. Let me tell you why that's important you walk away with above any other conjecture or speculation. When you look at Revelation chapter 14, it talks about the 144,000. It actually talks about the seal of God on the forehead, the, the name of the Lord written on their forehead. That ties Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation 14 back to Revelation 7 with the church having their the Lord's name written on their foreheads. That's a promise given to the church. You look at Revelation chapter 22. It talks about all the bondservants of the Lord. Everybody who is trusting Jesus Christ in Revelation 22, when you're there at the new heavens and the new earth, that every single person who is a bondservant of the Lord has been sealed with the seal of the living God. When you look at Revelation and the message of Revelation, you get to chapter 7, the one thing you walk away with is if I've trusted in Jesus Christ, I am sealed by the living God. And no judgment from God will ever touch me. Remember, we're answering the question at the end of Revelation chapter 6. Who is able to stand? I'll tell you who can stand. Every single person who's been sealed with the seal of the living God will stand on the day of judgment. You know what that means for you and me? 
it means we're safe. We are completely safe. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are protected from God's judgment. You will never experience it. You will never taste it. You will never walk through it. Everything that happens, this side of heaven, all the way through the final day of God's judgment upon the earth, everything that you experience, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, sealed with the seal of the living God, not one aspect of your experience is the judgment of God on your life. 100% of God's wrath and His judgment has been absorbed by Jesus Christ and you having been sealed with the seal of the living God, you are completely protected by God from His judgment. Zero judgment. That means that this week when you feel convicted of sin, if you think for one second that what you feel about your sin in your life is God's judgment, you've misunderstood about what you're feeling. You are not experiencing the judgment of God. When you feel conviction, you know what you're experiencing? The grace of God to bring you out of what you should not experience wrecking your life and instead bring you into more of the experience of the righteousness of Christ that you've been promised to receive and experience because you will not experience the judgment of God. You are not experiencing God's judgment. I hear people all the time saying things when things fall apart in their life. Maybe God is just paying me back from things I've done wrong. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've trusted Him for your salvation, the forgiveness of your sins, Jesus Christ is paying you. He's paying you His righteousness, not His wrath. He's paying you His forgiveness on the benefit of His own death. He paid the price to give you what you did not deserve. You are never paying God back. You're not experiencing His judgment. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are sealed and you will never, ever taste His judgment. Ever. But that's not why God is holding His judgment back from the earth. God is not holding His judgment back from the earth just to keep you from experiencing it. Because when His judgment is poured on the earth, you won't experience it then either. You know why God is holding back His judgment from the earth in this moment? While we live right here in the midst of all of the challenges and the difficulty and the brokenness. So that those of us who are not afraid. Who are protected. Who are safe no matter what. Can do what matters most. You know what matters most? Telling others about Jesus Christ. Because it's the only way that they can experience the seal of God and escape the judgment of God that's coming. And the people who are called to tell others about Jesus Christ are those who have received the seal of God and are safe. Being safe does not mean that things don't go wrong in our lives. It does not mean that things are not hurtful and harmful in our lives. When I went to Southside 17 years ago as a brand new pastor, 30 years old, completely clueless. It was the, some of the worst three years of my life, first three years there. 
when I was living through those worst three years, I suspect if you'd have been in some of my prayer times, you probably would have heard me say something like, why in the world, Lord, are you letting this happen to me? As if I deserved something better. But you know what I see now looking back 17 years later? I see that God was pouring out grace on me through those difficulties to shape me to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better pastor, to understand what it means to love people, to understand what it means to walk with Christ in the middle of something that feels so dark I can't see my way forward. I look back on that difficulty and I see the sweet savor of the grace of God. I don't see his judgment. I don't see his unfairness. I don't see what he allowed to happen to me just because we're living in a broken place. No, I see him taking the difficulty of life and transforming it through his grace so that it is the conduit of change in me so that I love him more. That's what he does. He's doing two things in your life right now by sealing you with his seal and holding back the judgment of God. He is showing you that every single thing that happens in your life is a way for his grace to draw you closer to him. And by being drawn closer to him, you would have the compassion and the boldness to do the difficult things of stepping into somebody's life who can't see Christ, who doesn't care about Christ, who actually is against you because you are for Christ and telling them about the love of Christ. I just talked to my dad yesterday and he's finished his chemo for his cancer. And he's supposed to find out on May 23rd through a PET scan whether or not he's cancer-free. Well, we found out in between the, the fourth and fifth rounds of chemo, I think it was, he found out he had a midway PET scan. And at that point, he was clear of cancer. So we were really excited about that. We can't wait to hear the news at the end of May. We're praying that my dad would be clear of cancer. But here's the thing he says to me. Every time I talk to him, this is what he says. I trust the Lord. If he heals me, I'll trust the Lord. If he doesn't heal me, I'm going to trust the Lord. I know, that's what my dad told me, I know I'm safe because I belong to him. So here's what's happening. Does he like cancer? He told me last night, he goes, I don't like going through this, but I know the Lord is good. Does he like it? No, he doesn't like it, but here's what he's experiencing. He's experiencing the grace of God in his cancer so that in his cancer, instead of coming up empty, he's coming up with more of Christ. And as he comes up with more of Christ, you know what he's compelled to do? Tell others about Christ. That's what God is doing by holding back the winds of judgment and sealing you forever. He is turning everything in your life that could be used for evil and bad into avenues of grace so you are captured by his beauty. And being so captured by his beauty, you can't help but tell others about Christ. Isn't that a great way to live? And the reality is that we let days and weeks go by where we simply are not doing what matters most, right? I mean, I'm that way, you're that way. A day or three or four or five or a week or two weeks can go by and we've not even made really any intentional effort to tell somebody about Christ. Maybe we've drifted into thinking some of the 
the things in our lives are reasons why we wonder where God's love is. We drift away from what the seal of God's intended to do in us. And I just want to tell you, if you're here this morning and you've drifted from knowing the presence and the power and the sweetness of the grace of God in the midst of everything you live through, good or bad, come back to Christ. You've been sealed. You are safe. And you have the hope of Christ in you. Please don't miss who you are in Christ. Come back to the Lord and let him revive your heart to the point where you can't help but tell somebody about Christ. And I recognize there are some people in this room that have never told someone about Jesus Christ so clearly that they could actually follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I know that. The last thing I want you to do is leave here today under the weight of guilt of having not done that. So remember the seal of God. You are not being judged. The grace of God is working in you right now to stir your heart so that you would leave this place. You believe, I'm here to tell others about Jesus. And if that's why I'm here, then that means I can do what matters most. And there's not a thing in this world that can stop me. I could get cancer. I could lose my spouse. I could lose my child. I could lose my job. I, whatever difficulty and horrible thing you can imagine, there is nothing that this world can bring into our lives that the grace of God cannot transform into an avenue to His sweetness, His closeness, the confidence of hope that something's better coming. We can tell people about Christ in the midst of whatever we're facing because that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Who is able to stand the day of God's judgment? Only those who are sealed with the seal of living God. If you've been sealed and you live in this time, Live for what matters most. C.S. Lewis also said, the person who has Jesus Christ and everything else in the world has nothing more than the person who only has Jesus. If we have the seal of God, we have everything. People who have everything have something to share. And his name is Jesus. This is what matters most. Love God. Love people. And help others do the same.